It's been a great day to be with you. I want to once again uh, say thank you for the invitation to be here with you today. I certainly have enjoyed the opportunity to uh, visit. Appreciate Patrick and Susie having us over this afternoon as well and enjoyed some uh, visiting and some singing together and then uh, both worship services as well. Tonight, uh, we want to dive into the Old Testament, look at a story uh, that occurs in the book of Genesis. And you can see the title is the story of Leah. It's not the story of my wife. It's the story of the Leah in the Bible, uh, just for clarification purposes. Uh, but a few years back, the elders uh, decided it would be funny to, as we were going through a character uh, study series, uh, to if the teacher had a wife whose name did you know, reside in the Bible, to assign him that name. So uh, they had me uh, preach a lesson on Leah. And actually what I found in studying this, this character in the Old Testament is there's a lot that I think that we can learn from her. And so I'm going to share some of those things with you this evening. Uh, there's a great love story that takes place in this, in this story and in this section of Genesis. In fact, verse uh, 20 of Genesis chapter 29 says, And Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed unto him but a few days for the love he had to her. What a great, loving thing to say. Imagine if your spouse said that about you. It had to work seven years for you, but it seemed but only a few days because of the great love they had for you. I mean, an amazing love story that takes place here. Unfortunately, it's not Leah's story. Genesis 29 and verse 30 says, He went in also into Rachel, and he loved also Rachel more than Leah. And so if you recall, Jacob here marries two sisters named Rachel and Leah. Rachel is the one that he wanted, that he favored. Leah, not so much. And so our character this evening, what we're going to look at is Leah. And the, this character that was trapped in this love triangle without much love pointing her direction, unfortunately. Uh, but I think there's some things that we can learn from it. So... As you recall, back in Genesis chapter 27 and 28, uh, Jacob and his mom have played a trick, essentially, on Isaac, his father, and Isaac has inadvertently given Jacob, who is the second-born son, the blessing that was supposed to go to the firstborn. Jacob had an older brother named Esau. They were twins, but Esau came out first, first, and then Jacob, Esau, was due that birthright. Jacob essentially stole it. Esau was not happy about that. There was a strife. Uh, Rebecca, Jacob's mom, essentially said, you need to go to my brother's house, my brother Laban. You need to go stay with him a while. You need to get away from the situation because your brother Esau is not happy about what we did. Now his father, Isaac, had also told Jacob to go to that same household because his mom was worried about Jacob marrying a foreign wife. And so Isaac took Jacob aside before he left and said, hey, you don't need to marry a foreign wife. You need to go to Laban to your mom's brother and you need to look at his daughters and pick a wife from his daughter. So Jacob does. He goes and he journeys to the land of his mother. And in verse 9 of Genesis chapter 29, he's speaking with some shepherds here at a well. It says, And while he yet spake with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep. Rachel is the daughter of Laban, uh, Jacob's mom's brother. It says, For she kept them, and it came to pass when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and when the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, that Jacob went near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. And Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and wept. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's brother and that he was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father. I always love these Old Testament stories because there's some fascinating ways that these things take place. And I do find it slightly humorous and interesting that Jacob knows who she is. And so as he sees her, he immediately makes his move and then tells her who he is and says, by the way, I'm your cousin, uh, right? I'm your dad's mom's son, and I want to marry you. And it's a love at first sight kind of deal. He sees Rachel. 
He wants to marry Rachel. This is the woman that he wants. So she runs and she tells Laban, her father, about this. And so Jacob has made his choice. And Laban said unto Jacob, Because thou art my brother, shouldest thou therefore serve me for not? Tell me what shall thy wages be? Remember, Jacob is wanting to stay there for a while to avoid Esau. So he's going to work for his father-in-law. His father-in-law says, Well, what should I pay you? Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah was tender-eyed, but Rachel was beautiful and well-favored. And Jacob loved Rachel and said, I will serve thee seven years for Rachel, thy younger daughter. And Laban said, It is better that I give her to thee than that I should give her to another man. Abide with me. And so they strike a deal. Laban says, All right, you want to stay with me? You want to work for me? What am I supposed to be paying you? And he says, Well, you have a daughter named Rachel. I like the look of her. I want her to be my wife. And so they strike a deal, seven years of labor in order to marry Rachel. But I want you to pay attention to a description that's given of these two women, these two sisters. It says, Leah was tender-eyed. Now there's a lot of discussion about what tender-eyed means. To some people, the interpretation is that there was something literally wrong. Perhaps she was blind or semi-blind, that there was something wrong with her eyes. Others will tell you that that simply means they did not sparkle, they were not beautiful, and it was just a way of describing her as much less attractive than her sister Rachel. And the comparison is there very clearly made. Leah was tender-eyed, but in contrast to that, Rachel was beautiful and well-favored. And so we see the physical aspect of these two women being clearly displayed that Rachel was the more beautiful and more physically attractive person. And Leah was not. Whether that means that she had an actual problem with her eyes or simply that she was more plain Jane, regardless, uh, she was not as beautiful as her sister. And Jacob did not choose to marry Leah. He chose to marry Rachel. And so Jacob worked seven years for Rachel, and they seemed unto him but a few days for the love he had to her. And Jacob said unto Laban, Give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled that I may go in unto her. So he worked seven years for his uh, soon-to-be father-in-law. Finally, he's fulfilled that. Doesn't seem like finally to him, right? Because he loves Rachel so much. Seems but a few days. He's ready to marry her though. He says, hey, I'm ready. I've worked for you for seven years like we agreed upon. Give me my wife so I can marry her. And Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. And it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to him. And he went in unto her. And Laban gave unto his daughter Leah Zilpah, his maid for a handmaid. And it came to pass that in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, what is this that thou hast done unto me? Did not I serve thee for Rachel? Wherefore then hast thou beguiled me? And Laban said, It must not be so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Fulfill her week, and we will give thee this also for the service which thou shalt serve with me yet seven other years. And so Laban, Jacob's soon-to-be father-in-law, pulls a, a swap and tricks him. And instead of sending Rachel in to him, he sends Leah, the older daughter, the less attractive, not as beautiful, not as favored daughter. Now, as was custom in that day, there were veils that were over the face. Some people have gone, how in the world could Jacob have made this mistake and not realize he's marrying the wrong woman? There were veils covering the face. There was a lot of partying that went on before the wedding. And so I'm sure that there was some alcohol potentially involved in here as well. And so for whatever reason, Jacob does not know that he's marrying the wrong woman until the next morning and he realizes the mistake that's been made. Not really the mistake, the trick that's been played on him by his father-in-law. But Laban has a solution. Laban says, don't worry, I'll still give you the woman that you want. I'll still let you marry my daughter Rachel, but you have to work for me another seven years. And so Jacob, unfortunately, has to agree in order to marry the woman that he really wants. Verse 28 says, Jacob did so and fulfilled her week. 
And he gave him Rachel, his daughter, to wife also. And Laban gave, uh, gave to Rachel, his daughter, Bilhah, his handmaid, to be her maid. And he went in uh, also unto Rachel, and he loved also Rachel more than Leah, and served with him yet seven other years. Now many people believe that Jacob had to serve another seven years before he was able to marry Rachel. That's not true. Leah got one week, one week of being married to Jacob, and then her sister, her younger, more beautiful, more attractive, more favored sister, came into the marriage. And now it was a triangle. After that one week of marriage that she had Jacob all to herself, now Rachel has entered the picture. And Jacob has had, is now having to work another seven years in payment for being able to marry both daughters. Verse 31, it says, When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Now, I want us to recognize here that King James says that Leah was hated, talking about Jacob. This doesn't mean the type of hate that you and I think of. There's no indication in Scripture that Jacob was cruel or mean or anything improper to Leah as his wife, but he simply did not love her the way that he loved Rachel. And that, in the King James, many times when you read that word hate, it simply means love less. He did not care for He had no desire at any point to have even married her. And all of them become trapped in this marriage in a situation that none of them asked for. And if you think about that, right? Jacob now has two wives that he never asked for. He wanted to marry Rachel. Rachel, who was in love with this guy who's in love with her, is now having to share him with her older sister. And the older sister was used as a pawn by her dad. Leah, Leah had no control over that, especially in that culture and in that time. Laban had all the power and all the control, and Leah was simply doing what he told her to do. And so now Leah is stuck in a marriage with her younger sister, who's more beautiful than her, and with her husband, who doesn't love her as much as he does her sister. All of them are trapped in a negative situation that they didn't ask for due to Laban's trickery and deceit. But the Lord looks down on Leah, and he has compassion because he recognizes her plight. She didn't ask to be in this situation, and now she's married to a guy that doesn't love her as much as he loves her younger sister. And God says, I'm going to open your womb. And so Leah begins to give Jacob children, and Rachel is unable to do so. In verse 32, it says, Leah conceived and bare a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, Surely the Lord hath looked upon my affliction. Now therefore my husband will love me. And she conceived again and bare a son and said, Because the Lord hath heard that I was hated, he hath therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. And she conceived again and bare a son and said, Now this time will my husband be joined unto me, because I have borne him three sons. Therefore was his name called Levi. And she conceived again and bare a son, and she said, Now will I praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah and left bearing. And I just want you to notice something about the progression of Leah's mindset as she is bearing these children for Jacob, for a husband that does not love her the way that he loves Rachel. As she has the firstborn son, she says, Now my husband will love me. And she thinks, now all will be right with the world because I've provided him a son. He'll favor me. He'll love me like he does Rachel. That's not true. She has another son. She has a third son. She says, now this time will my husband be joined unto me because I have borne him three sons. And she's putting all her eggs in that basket, saying, I'm bearing him children. Surely he will love me. Surely he will favor me now. It doesn't happen. And then on son number four, she says, now I will praise the Lord. And what a perspective change that is. Rather than wanting and seeking my husband to to love me and to be pleased with me and to favor me, instead she says, I'm just going to praise the Lord. I'm going to be thankful for what the Lord has blessed me. I'm going to praise Him for what He's given me. And we see a change of progression that takes place over those years. 
Now Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah are all born to Leah. Rachel is unable to have children at this point. The two handmaidens that Laban had given to both Leah and Rachel have four other sons, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. And it wouldn't be until much later that Rachel was able to conceive, and we see how this takes place. In Genesis chapter 30, verses 1 and 2, it says, When Rachel saw that she bare Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister. And she said unto Jacob, Give me children, or else I die. And Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel, and he said, Am I in God's stead who hath withheld from thee the fruit of the womb? And so I want you to notice something. Rachel is the beautiful sister. Rachel is the one that's well-favored. Rachel is the one that Jacob loved, that he wanted to marry. Leah is the one that's tender-eyed, that's not attractive and all that. But she bears Jacob these four children. Rachel cannot, and Rachel looks at Leah and envies Leah. And so we've got sisters, sisters here that are envying each other for different reasons because of the different blessings that they've been given. And she looks at Jacob and she says, you've got to give me children or I'm going to die. It seems a little bit dramatic to me, and I think it did to Jacob as well, because he looks at her and he goes, am I God? Am I, am I stopping this from happening? Am I able to, to, to say yes or to say no to this? I'm not God. Nevertheless, Rachel is envious. She wants children. She wants to bear Jacob a child. And in verse 14 of Genesis 30, it says, Reuben went in the days of the wheat harvest and found mandrakes in the field and brought them unto his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, Give me, I pray thee, of thy son's mandrakes. And she said unto her, Is it a small matter that thou hast taken my husband? And wouldest thou take away my son's mandrakes also? And Rachel said, Therefore he shall lie with thee tonight for thy son's mandrakes. And Jacob came out of the field in the evening, and Leah went out to meet him and said, Thou must come in unto me, for surely I have hired thee with my son's mandrakes. And he lay with her that night. Now this is a weird sisterly deal that is struck here. But a mandrake is essentially a plant that was very common in Israel. still common in Israel, but its roots are very deep, and it grows out, and on the ground it has dark, leafy, uh, kind of big leaves, and then some flowers, and then some fruit that will grow on it. And the mandrake fruit was said to help with fertility issues, and that's what they believed. So there's a reason why Rachel, who sees that Leah's son Reuben has found these mandrakes, she wants the mandrakes because she believes that it will help her with her fertility to be able to bear children. And so she goes to Leah and she says, I want some of the mandrakes. And you see Leah's snappy comeback. She says, is it a small matter that you've taken my husband? You want to take my son's mandrakes too? There's all sorts of family dynamics going on here in this situation that aren't good. And so then they strike a deal and Rachel says, well, you can have Jacob tonight if I can have the mandrakes. And so then that plays out. Rachel takes the mandrakes and God will open up her womb and allow Rachel to eventually have a couple of sons. So as we look kind of forward in the future of the other children that are born, Leah will have two more, Issachar and Zebulun, and then Rachel has Joseph, and then much later we'll have a son named Benjamin. When you break it all down, here's how the breakdown of the 12 sons, which would become uh, the tribes of Israel, right? Uh, with the exception of Levi, who's not counted in the 12 tribes. They served uh, in the tabernacle and such, and then Joseph's two sons actually each uh, received an equal share and would become part of the 12 tribes. But these 12 sons, Leah had six of them. And then each of the handmaids had two, and Rachel had two. And I just want us to recognize that all of Israelite history was built upon these sons. And half of them, six of them, 
came from the, the woman that was not favored, that was not beautiful, and that was tricked and deceived as they all were into this marriage. Now, after the 14 years that Jacob serves Laban, they strike a deal. Laban wants to keep Jacob on, but now there's no more daughters for him to agree uh, to pay him, uh, and so they have to strike a different deal. And what Jacob says is, I want to start growing flocks of my own. I want some goats, and I want some sheep, and I want them to be mine. So he says, what I'll do, Laban, if you're agreeable, is I'll take care of your flocks, but any of the sickly or the speckled or the striped goats and sheep I'll take those, I'll separate them out, and those will be mine. They're the less favorable ones, I'll take those. All the strong, good-looking ones without any spots, those are yours, and I'll take care of them for you. So they agree, they say yes. Well, if you recall the story, Jacob begins to keep the two separate herds, and he takes these, uh, these sticks, essentially, and he takes some of the bark off them and makes stripes on them, and then he prays over them. And essentially, what's happening is God is blessing Jacob. And so these striped and speckled and spotted sheep and goats, God makes them grow and to be strong and his herds to abound while he makes Jacob's otherwise pure and strong and good herds begin to dwindle. And so God is essentially showing favor to Jacob. And so over time, this begins to make Laban and Laban's sons very angry because they look out and they see Laban's flocks have dwindled in size and they see Jacob's flocks and he's got a whole bunch. And so they begin to believe that Jacob is stealing Laban's flocks and stealing their inheritance. And so they begin to be very angry with Jacob. And in verse 4 of Genesis chapter 31, Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to the, uh, to the field unto his flock and said unto them, I see your father's countenance, that it is not toward me as before, but the God of my father hath been with me. Now ye know and ye know that with all my power have I served your father, and your father hath deceived me and changed my wages ten times, but God suffered him not to hurt me. And in verse 13, Jacob tells him what God told him. I am the God of Bethel, where thou anointest the pillar, and where thou vowest a vow unto me. Now arise, get thee from this land, and return unto the land of thy kindred. Jacob calls his two wives to him, and he says, Look, God has blessed me. He's made my herds grow, and Laban's herds have dwindled. And he says, And now Laban's angry. He's upset at me. He's not happy about this. And God has told me it's time to go. So we're going to load up our flocks, we're going to load up all of our stuff, and we're going to go back to my homeland. It's time for me to go home. And so look, listen to what Leah and Rachel say. And Rachel and Leah answered and said unto him, Is there yet any portion or inheritance for us in our father's house? Are we not counted of him strangers? For he hath sold us and hath quite devoured also our money. For all the riches with which God hath taken from our father, that is ours and our children's. Now then, whatsoever God hath said unto thee, do. And then Jacob rose up and set his sons and his wives upon camels, and he carried away all his cattle and all his goods which he had gotten, the cattle of his getting which he had gotten in Padanaram, for to go to Isaac his father in the land of Canaan. So I just want us to recognize here, first of all, Laban was not a good man. I mean, I think we can see that all throughout this story. And Jacob says, he's changed my wages ten times. There's all sorts of problems and family dynamics here that are not good. But he also has apparently, according to the viewpoint of his two daughters, Rachel and Leah, he's devoured their inheritance. He's, he's wasted his, his substance and his money. And so they say, look, we're, we're your wife. We are your wives, I suppose. And we're going to follow you. Right? So whatever God has told you to do, we're with you. And this is a time when we see Rachel and Leah who have been diametrically opposed in this marriage, who have envied each other for different reasons at times, and now they're in agreement. And they're saying, we'll go. And we'll support you and we'll be behind you. And so they do. 
And so there's some more drama that goes on with Laban chasing after them, and they have to work out uh, some stuff. But eventually Jacob arrives back home, and he has a showdown with his older brother Esau. Now remember, the entire reason he went there was to get away from Esau because he had stolen Esau, Esau's birthright. And in Genesis chapter 33, verses 1 through 4, and then verse 7, I want you to pay attention as they're coming before Esau. Notice how Jacob has placed his wives and his children, his wives, handmaids, and children. Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau came, and with him 400 men. And he divided the children unto Leah and unto Rachel and unto the two handmaids. And he put the handmaids and their children foremost, and Leah and her children after, and Rachel and Joseph hindermost. And he passed over before them and bowed himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. And Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. And Leah also with her children came near and bowed themselves, and after came Joseph near and Rachel, and they bowed themselves. Now you can still see the favoritism played out here in the way that he orders his children. He puts the handmaids and their sons first. In case there's a problem, they're the cannon fodder. And then he places Leah and her six boys, and then at the very back, with the greatest chance of either survival or escape, he places his beloved Rachel and her son Joseph. And so we see that this is still going on, this favoritism towards Rachel, which can't be easy for Leah to deal with. But nevertheless, they approach Esau. Esau does not want to fight. Esau shows forgiveness. He shows maturity. He shows courage and all that. They make up, they embrace, and they're one big happy family again. In Genesis chapter 49, verse 29, uh, in this part of the story, Jacob is giving instruction uh, for the burial of Rachel. And in this instruction, he uh, is going to mention that he buried Leah in a particular place. So I want you to pay attention to where that is. It says, He charged them and said to them, I am to be gathered unto my people, bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, which is before Mamre, in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field of Ephron the Hittite for a possession of a burying place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah his wife, and there they buried Isaac and Rebekah his wife, and there I buried Leah. Uh, now, this was actually instructions for his own burial. So when Rachel passed away, they were actually journeying, and she was buried along the way on one of their travels, one of their journeys. But here in his instructions for his own eventual burying place, he says, I want to be buried in the family tomb where Abraham and Sarah are, or were buried, where my dad and my mom were buried, and where I buried Leah. And so I don't know if it's telling that, that perhaps Jacob's mindset had shifted or changed to this point, or if it simply was a matter of it just was what it was. They were on a journey, and so he buried Rachel somewhere else. I don't know, but it's interesting to me that in this family burial place, Rachel was not buried, but Leah was. And Jacob said, when I'm gone, that's where I want to be buried. I want to be buried with my grandparents, with my parents, and with Leah. You know, through Leah, Leah's lineage, not Rachel's, not any of the handmaids, Jesus would be born. Matthew chapter 1, 1 and 2 gives that lineage, and it shows that it goes through Jacob's son, Judas, or Judah, in this case. Revelation 5, verse 5 says, One of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah. You see, when Jesus eventually comes onto the scene, he was born from the lineage of Judah, which was Leah's fourth-born son. And coincidentally or not, it was that son in which Leah's perspective had changed. And she no longer had the child and said, Now my husband will love me. 
But she had the child and said, now I'll praise the Lord. And I'm going to seek to please Him. And I'm going to be thankful to Him. And it was that son, Judah, that Jesus would eventually come from through that line or that lineage. So real quick this evening as we close, I want to mention just a few lessons quickly that I think that we can learn from this story. One, don't judge people based on outward appearances. Proverbs 31.30 says, Favor is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. At the end of the day, there are naturally attractive people, some people that are not as naturally attractive. It is what it is. We are all different. We are all designed different. And the reality is, what is on the outside does not define the person. And when Jacob looked at those sisters, he saw one that was very beautiful outwardly. He wanted to marry her. He did not favor or love the sister that was not as attractive, that was not as as beautiful. But it was that sister and that woman that not only had the the better mindset ultimately in praising the Lord and being thankful to Him, when we kind of look at the comparison between the two, but it was that sister that would eventually produce the Christ that would be a blessing to the entire world. It was that wife, the less favored, the less beautiful Wife, And so I want to encourage you not to judge people based on their outward appearances. Judge them based on their character. Judge them based on what's on the inside because it's, what the, it's on the inside that matters. And it's our perspective, our mindset, who we are, the decisions that we make, how we treat people. All of those things are far more important than the outside. And even if we are naturally gifted with beauty outwardly or physically, those things fade over time, do they not? Over time, as we age, that natural beauty goes away anyway. And so why do we put so much stock into that? Don't put stock into that. Be the type of person that God wants you to be. Number two, don't compare yourself to others. There was all sorts of weird family dynamics going on here and comparisons and envying and jealousy and all of that that was going on. Galatians chapter 5, verse 26 says, Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. One sister had the looks. Another sister had the children. Each one wanted what the other one had. And it was, it was a big mess because they were constantly comparing their, themselves to another person. And the reality is what we're called to do is not envy one another, not be jealous of one another. You may have something that I wish I had. I may have something you wish you had. But our responsibility and our go-to should not be to be envious or jealous of each other. It should be to be thankful and content with what we do have. To strive to be the best that we can be. To serve God in whatever role we're in. Not comparing ourselves to others, but comparing ourselves to God, to Christ. And if we all compare ourselves to Christ, we recognize two things. We recognize, one, we're all sinners, and that puts us on all equal footing. And number two, if we compare ourselves to Christ, it gives us a standard to live for. And all of us, no matter what we have or don't have, have the same standard that we ought to be living for. And no matter what we're blessed with or what we're not blessed with, we ought to use the things that we have for the glory of God. Number three, focus on what you can control. Leah could not control her father forced her into that marriage. She couldn't control Jacob's love for her. He didn't have it. She couldn't control her sister's feelings. There was a lot of stuff that she couldn't control. But what she could control was her attitude, her perspective, and whether she was living for herself or living for God. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 22 says, A merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit dryeth the bones. James 1, 2 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. There's a lot of things that a good, merry attitude can help with and can fix. There's a lot of problems that having the right perspective, the right spiritual mindset, the right attitude in life can get you really, really far. And if we'll focus on those things over the physical things, because you see, we're going to face problems. We're going to face trials and tribulations. We're going to get sick. 
We're going to face diseases and sicknesses. We're going to face tragedies and the loss of loved ones. We're going to face job problems and relationship struggles. Having marriages that, that we know aren't right or having children that are rebellious and that it's a struggle to raise. Having a job situation or money problem that's causing us stress. There's going to be issues physically in life, in all of our lives, in some way, shape, form, or fashion. But if we'll put all those second and just focus on what we control, and that is our attitude, our mindset, our faith, living for God, living for the next world and not this world. And if we'll keep that in mind, it will get us through those difficult situations that we face in life. And I think we can see that in Leah's attitude. Number four, prioritize God over man. Who are we trying to please? Galatians chapter 1, verse 10 says, For do I now persuade men or God? Do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. We have a choice in a lot of areas of our life to make this choice between pleasing people or pleasing God. And we saw that in that progression of Leah's mindset. She wanted Jacob's favor. She wanted to please him. She wanted to make him love her. And it wasn't until she said, you know what? I'm going to seek to please God. I want God's favor, not man's favor. That things changed and things turned for her. And the reality is true for us as well. There's going to be situations where we want desperately for someone to make a decision. You know, we look at them and we say, I want you to do this because it'll be better for you. Or we look at them and we say, I wish that you treated me better. Or I wish that you loved me more. Or I wish, I wish, I wish. But we cannot control the other person. We cannot always please people. And sometimes we don't need to, we don't need to be seeking to please people. We need to be seeking to please God. And so if that means choosing to put the people aside to the second, treating them well with kindness and all that that God's called us to, but saying, I'm going to please God and whatever that means, that's what I'm going to do. And if that doesn't make you happy, I'm sorry. But I'm going to serve God. I'm going to serve Him first. Number five, do your duty with contentment. Ecclesiastes 12 verse 13 says, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. 2 Corinthians 12 verse 10, Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Leah, despite the fact that she was in a situation she didn't choose, she did her duty. She did what God called her to do. She bore Jacob the children that she was supposed to. She was a dutiful wife. She supported him when he said, we're going to go back home. She supported him as he faced Esau. And she supported him throughout the rest of her life, being buried ultimately in the family tomb. She was not in a situation she wanted to be, yet she did her duty with contentment. There's going to be situations you find yourself in life where you don't want to be. Responsibilities that you're handed that you wish were not yours. And yet what God is calling you to do is to do your duty with contentment. Whatever it is that you're being called to do, whatever struggle you're having to face, whatever responsibility has been placed in your lap, take it, do it to the best of your ability, honor God and serve Him by doing the very best that you can do. That's all that God is asking of us. Number six, pray in good times and bad. Over and over and over again as you look through that story, Leah is praying and she's talking to God. She's praying. Uh, Rachel is praying for children. They're praying. Those prayers weren't always answered the way that they wanted at times, but they were praying. Philippians 4 verse 6 says, Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. There's something that happens with prayer. And it's not the result of the prayer. It's the prayer itself. It's the spiritual mindset. It's us taking a moment to put ourselves second and put God first that gives us some clarity. 
and can give us peace in a situation and can help us move forward and walk forward on whatever path that it is that we're walking, knowing that no matter what happens, we're going to be okay because it's in God's hands and we're serving Him and we're not living for this life, we're living for the next. All of those principles. And when we are a people that constantly pray, that talk and speak to God and share with Him our cares and our burdens... It gives us a spiritual viewpoint and mindset that helps us to be successful in life. Not successful the way the world thinks. Successful in the way that God says we should be successful. With that spiritual mindset and attitude walking through life. So I want to encourage you to be people of prayer. Pray in the morning and in the evening. Pray in good times and in bad. Pray all the time. And finally, look for spiritual results. We get so caught up in the physical aspects of things. We get caught up in the physical results. We want to see if we struggle with something or we pray about something, we want to see a physical result, a physical manifestation that it's gotten better. We pray for somebody that has cancer. We want to see that cancer gone. The reality is we ought to look for spiritual results. Ultimately, what Leah was able to do in her life was to provide a lineage for Jesus to come into the world and bless every single one of us, you and I included, with the gift of salvation. That's a spiritual result, even if she never had the love from her husband that she wanted. Even if she never had the beauty that her sister did, or never had anything else that maybe her heart wanted or desired. You know what she did have? She had a spiritual result, a result of her work and her labor for God that was a blessing to others. The reality is we can want physical results of things all day long. And when those physical results happen, that's fantastic. And we're thankful for those. But what we ought to, I think, prioritize above that is spiritual results. And if someone who's dealing with a disease like cancer, even if that cancer does not go away, if what they can get through prayer and through the ministry of the church, through our support and through our help, if what they can get is a strengthening of their faith, and their trust in God, a confidence in their eternal destination, And when they pass from this life to know where it is that they're headed, then that's a win. That's a success. That's a spiritual blessing to be able to see someone walk through a difficulty and do it with faith, with the support of their church family and friends that are holding them up. That's a spiritual result. We might have preferred the physical, but I think God prefers ultimately the spiritual. I think God is ultimately more concerned that our souls end up in heaven with Him than we have all the physical desires of our heart. Those things are far less important. So prioritize the spiritual. Look for spiritual results. Pray for spiritual things. Encourage people in spiritual ways. We're not always going to have the things we want here. But if we all make it to heaven, that's the greatest blessing and the greatest win that we could ever ask for. So like Leah did, look for spiritual results and then leave a legacy behind. Our final verse of the evening is Ruth chapter 4, verse 11. The story of Ruth is a fascinating story in and of itself. But I want to notice a passage here. It says, And all the people that were in the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. The Lord make the woman, Ruth, that is to come in thine house, like Rachel and like Leah, which too did build the house of Israel. And do thou worthily in a fraud and be famous in Bethlehem. Years and years later, Leah was credited as one of the two women that built the nation of Israel. 
After being deceived into a marriage she didn't choose, suffering without the love of her husband that she wanted, being less favored and less beautiful than her sister, having at first a mindset that wanted the love of her husband so badly until she shifted and said, I'm just going to praise the Lord, supporting her husband until death. She is credited as one of the two that built the entire nation. And that's a legacy. And as it relates to you this evening, I don't know where your life is at right now. I don't know what struggles you face. I don't know what responsibilities you have in your, in your life. I don't know if you've looked out at others and been jealous or envious of them. I don't know if there's things that you wish that you had that you don't. But at the end of this story, I want to encourage you to be like Leah or be at least like some of the lessons I think we can learn from Leah. Don't prioritize physical. Prioritize spiritual. Prioritize the legacy that, that you lead. Raise your children and your grandchildren to love God and to be faithful Christians. Encourage them, instead of prioritizing the great education and uh, great wealth for them to build and all these things, none of that stuff's wrong. But instead of that being the focus of your life and the focus of your parenting, make it the spiritual things. And if at the end of this story we die penniless, but we make it to heaven, it's a win. If at the end of this story we have tons of wealth and great education and all of that, and we die without faith. It's a loss. We've lost everything. So prioritize what's important and leave a legacy behind. What nation are you building? What is your house going to look like 10 years from now, 20 years from now, and 50 years from now? What are they going to say about you years later? I'll leave the lesson with you this evening, and I hope that you've learned some things or found some things interesting that maybe you can apply to your life. It's an interesting study for me, and I hope it was for you. If you're here and you've not obeyed the gospel, we certainly don't want to close the service without offering you that opportunity to obey God in baptism and have your sins washed away. If you're here and you are a Christian, though, we also want to provide you the opportunity to get your life right with God. We'll pray for you, we'll pray with you, we'll help you to take those steps that are necessary.